be purely because of the increase in money that you will see. But what was the reason for that jump from single lets to HMOs? Yeah, it was essentially the money, to, mm-hmm. to be briefly yeah. honest. So with buy to let, you know, you just have one person or one family paying you rent. Whereas in an HMO, I would have five people pay, paying rent or six people paying rent, depending on the size of the house. Mm. So, yeah, there's more more rental income, so more cash flow at the end of the month. Wow. No, absolutely. So you mentioned you've, of course, um, for proper, the last three properties, you've gone into um, what we we'll call a joint venture. So with a business partner, but you've also mentioned people like the famous couple, which we're going to give a shout out to them again <laughs> and just some help um, along the way. Um, how and, and the, you know, people can say, yes, that's just by luck. But it's also meant that you, Ruth, has had to go out and build relationships with different people. How important has been building networks played a part in your journey? Oh, it's been so important um with the uh the first investor that we worked with i think that came down to like building relationships and building rapport mm. um, so we had the opportunity to pitch to a room of investors to say you know we've got this property deal we need this amount of money who's interested and the lady that ended up being interested she kind of bought into us our journey our story um, we spent some time building a relationship with her and then she wanted to loan money and the same thing happened with another investor on the fifth property mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's really important to build um, networks in the property industry it's quite a small industry in the sense that there are I guess there's quite a few different property communities and a lot of people know people and you know word of mouth so you know before covid i did used to do a lot of networking and going to various events and and that sort of thing obviously we all know what happened an event stopped for a couple of years but i think yeah it was it was good for me to be doing that networking beforehand fantastic and we'll find out a bit more about some other tips that you just you know you have for anyone interested in property investing um or who have already started that journey as well so then now that's really useful um you know, you um, how, just remind me. Sorry, um, you've got with your six properties, you've got how many tenants in total do you have now? Um, so in the HMOs, I have sixteen tenants across mm. three HMOs, mm. and then in the three buy to lets, that's just three separate families. Yeah. So potentially well over 20 people in total um lots of stuff happening lots of properties in different parts of the uk um business partners um all going through the buy refurb refinance process so you know um actually refurbing these properties etc um that's obviously a lot for you ruth to do by yourself how are you actually able to do this what support are you actually working with who's doing all of this on your behalf if that makes sense Sure. So, yeah, it is difficult to do on my own. <laughs> um, it's definitely easier doing it with somebody. So that's why I've, I guess, got a business partner for mm. the HMOs. And in the, um, we we have quite different roles within our business. So I deal with, you know, the legals and speaking to the the brokers and speaking to the letting agents. And he mm. deals with speaking to building control and the, the builders and the construction side of it Mm. um so that's all up until the point that a tenant goes in once the tenant is in we then hand over to our managing company Mm. so we 
well, I met with lots of different betting agents in the area that we invest in and essentially interviewed a bunch of them to decide who do I want to be managing the properties. And, um, you know, not everybody was great. (laughs) And I I had, I had a criteria that I I was choosing from and I'm really, really happy with the the company that manages the properties now. So I am relatively hands-off. They deal with most things day to day. If there's anything serious that I need to know about, then they'll let me know. But you know, I don't need to know if I can't think of an example now that in one of the properties recently, the Hoover broke, mm. like, I don't need to know that the Hoover broke. <laughs> they can just like, they're, they're authorized up to a hundred pounds to mm. do what they need to do without my consent and anything over a hundred pounds they'll tell me about. Mm. Wow. No, that that's really, and you know, uh, Jats, I don't know about you, but you don't often hear about, you know, people talking, on how you actually choose a management company who pretty much does all of this for you and so well not for all for you but supports you with making sure those six 20 plus tenants are actually in a safe environment without taking up your time with because that is a lot of your time if that was the case but um what went into when you was interviewing these management companies what was like the deciding factor for you I wanted to make sure it was somebody that was used to working with HMOs because Mm. managing an HMO is very different to managing a single let buy to let so I I had a look on places like spareroom.com which is where you know if you're looking for a house share that's where you would look and I was checking to see which agencies are advertising properties and how quickly are they filling the rooms um, I was then calling them. Sometimes I would do fake calls pretending to be a tenant, a prospective tenant, you know, mm. just, just to see how they handle, handle the mm. conversation. Um, and then I would be, you know, once I decided this is who I want to use, I'd ask them, you know, how, how do they handle certain situations? So let's say, for example, a tenant stops paying rent. What's their process? Like what, what, or do they even have a process in place? And, you know, just things like that to make sure that I was confident in how they were going to be, be dealing with things. Um, even to, you know, what's their their maintenance um, procedures. So if there is a problem in the property, are they going to come back to a tenant within 24 hours or are they going to ignore them? Like these are the sorts of things that I needed to make sure I felt comfortable with because, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that the people living in my houses are happy and comfortable so mm. that they do pay rent and so they stay there for a long time. You know, it, it, it sounds like, you know, you were traumatized from your experience early on with mm. your landlord. <laughs> that you, you, That's it. I think yeah. because I've, I've been a tenant, I've been a tenant in, you know, a normal property and also in a house share. I know what it's like and we've all got friends as well that have had horrible experiences so I just think I would never want to be that type of landlord Mm. so I need to ensure that the management company are representing me the way that I want to be represented. I I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I I do have one question so someone like myself who you know me I I don't like headaches Um, (laughs) yeah I like like a great peace of mind Um, but as an investor so for me my Kind of what I'm leaning much more towards um, is is single lets, kind of family lets, um, where there are kind of there's more longevity potentially, um, and you know there's not much movement. But can, can, can you give me some pros and cons of of the differences of a HMO or multi lets and single lets, and kind of um, you know 
speak on that so that maybe if our listeners are considering one or the other um, they can kind of you know make a decision as to which one makes sense for them sure well I'd say the biggest pro is that you will receive more money from a house share than you will from a buy to let just you know there are five people paying you rent instead of one person so Mm. that just in itself I'd say that's probably the biggest pro another pro that you could consider is if HMOs might be your stepping stone to then go on to doing bigger development projects so doing something like that which does involve quite a lot of work it will give you the experience to then if you do a few of those then when you go on to do something bigger it's not going to feel as much of a jump from just buy to let so that's something else to consider but yeah, in terms be... of oh sorry go on no no I was saying there yeah, that's that's really interesting so that you don't feel overwhelmed by jumping from from one thing completely to to a, a higher scale kind of thing exactly exactly um there I do think there are quite a lot of cons but it's just how you choose to see it so uh, because there are more people technically there's more things that can go wrong um, the nature of HMOs is that people don't tend to stay there that long so I can't remember whose podcast I heard this on but they were saying on average people would stay in a house share for 18 months mm. now I've been lucky enough to have in, in one of the HMOs anyway someone was there for four years which is actually quite a long time but you know in between those changeovers you're going to have void periods and that's something that will happen more in HMOs than would happen in a house share um in HMOs as well you are responsible for um paying the bills so now that you know electricity and gas is super expensive that's something to consider that wasn't well it was still a consideration previously but it's even more of a consideration now. Um, I'm just trying to think what else. I mean, yeah, there's there are lots of cons, lots of pros, and I just think it comes down to what systems do you have in place to, to help you out and how much do you really want it? Because, you know, not everything in life is easy, and if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's super useful. Um, thank you for that, Ruth. Um, you've of course um gone through this process and you thought about the you know the pros and cons with getting onto HMOs as well. Do you want to talk a bit more about some of the challenges that you've had just in general throughout your whole process of um, building your property portfolio? Um just trying to think like I do genuinely think that I have been quite fortunate blessed grateful (laughs) in the sense that I haven't had a huge amount of challenges or a huge amount of hurdles um I'd say the thing that frustrates me the most about the, the, the process is the actual purchasing process mm. so the HMOs that I bought I bought them in a limited company rather than in like my own name and mm. the um the, the the mortgage lender that I've used for these particular properties had so many hoops and hurdles to jump through so conveyancing can usually take anywhere from I don't know four weeks at the earliest to maybe eight weeks or 12 weeks but each of these properties some of them 
took even up to six months mm. and that's just because of the hoops that the the lenders was making us jump through but I need I, I wanted to go with that particular lender for a number of reasons so it just meant you know I had to jump through all those hoops to get it and it was frustrating but I would probably still choose them again mm. if I was moving forward if I was doing it again Hmm. You you spoke about buying as an individual limited company. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. So in when was it? Two thousand and eighteen or two thousand and seventeen? There was a new piece of legislation which I think was called Section Twenty Four, and um, it meant that it 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 changed the something to do with like at and Jax you can probably help me out <laughs> yeah so um section 24 um it came in I believe it was uh, I think it was April 2018 I think yes yes or, or maybe a year before I can't I'm not, before I'm not that really sure yeah so essentially section 24 um to cut a very long story short is um changes to how you are taxed um as a landlord um essentially historically um depending on how much he was earning so if he was earning let's say a thousand pounds i'll use the example because it's always easier if he, if he was earning a thousand pounds from rent and you had a mortgage of let's say 300 pounds then you will then have to pay tax on the net which will be uh, 700 pounds in this circumstance however since uh section 24 has been introduced you now have to pay tax on the whole one thousand pounds which can make it very very inefficient for many many people especially uh, if you are a higher rate taxpayer so the way to go around this um, is to buy properties within a business structure usually we call that a special purpose vehicle sometimes shortened sorry to spv Um, So essentially the business now owns the properties and of course you are the owner of the business. Yes, you go through the similar routes, you still have to get your buy-to-let mortgages, etc. But generally you are the guarantor of those loans uh, because obviously you and the business are two different entities. And then uh, what makes it more attractive than um, what was before is that you then only have to pay corporation tax and you only pay uh, the net so you only pay tax on profits that way. Mm, wow. No, thanks for that, um, Jax. Um, and uh, Ruth, so you pretty much set up as a limited company then? That's right, yeah. Oh, wow. No, brilliant. Fantastic. Because that's always a question that comes through into our atmosphere. When we're starting this um, investment journey, should we set up as a company or should we do it individually? Well, what, what, what I will say is, is, is very important, you know, world finance, we, we don't give financial advice, we can only give you a guidance, uh, information, education, and our own opinions. Mm. Um, so it's very important, especially when we're talking about anything regarding tax, to, to actually speak to a tax advisor, uh, because everybody's circumstance is different, and you have to look at things holistically. But what I would say, just generally speaking, almost like a rule of thumb or some, some guidance, is firstly, if you are a higher rate taxpayer, or, or and secondly, um, you plan to buy multiple properties over the long term, chances are you want to start the process right, which is through a business structure. Mm. No, brilliant. Thanks for that, Jax. Um, Ruth, anything to add to that? And if not, um, what were some of the other challenges that you, I guess, um, had um, during your journey? Um, one of the other challenges, I guess, is that 
I live in London and the properties mm. are not in London. Mm. So we had to, again, do a, a, a lot. We had to put a lot of trust into our builders, but we were very lucky with the builders that we ended up using and ended up going with. So we had great lines of communication with them. And I mean, we did still keep an eye on the project and we would go up probably every three weeks or so, especially the first time that we worked with the builders just to keep keep checking on things Mm-mm. but you know when you have a full-time job <laughs> it's it's and it's, it's difficult we can't be there all the time so mm. that was a bit stressful and it was I guess I was a bit anxious knowing that you know we've put a lot of money into this project and can't go and just walk down the road and, and see it every day <laughs> yeah but I, yeah I was gonna I was gonna say someone like myself I, I've got trust issues so mm. <laughs> <laughs> no all again, a lot of it comes down to planning and yeah. having contracts and things like that in place so because with the when it was the first time we worked with this set of builders we asked them if they would be happy to have a contract which they said they had no problems with but even things yes. like knowing that they didn't have problems with it made me feel a bit more comfortable yeah. um, we also set up a whatsapp group and at the end of like maybe every other day or every few days they would send videos and, and photos to be constantly keeping us updated um, we also didn't pay them all the money up front so we mm. I, I think we did a third a third a third so a third on day one and then a third of the money part way through or, or maybe at, at different intervals when different parts of the project was complete um, and then the rest at the end and I think we maybe even held back a small amount for snagging like two or three weeks after they completed it so it's just putting things like that in place to make sure that I felt comfortable with what was going on and also so that they could get on with their job yeah I think I think one thing I like about all that you've said so far Ruth is the fact that you seem to be someone who really really pays attention to the details you also do a lot of due diligence and I think that's really really important for any uh, form of investment anything that presents risk that you want to investing generally is risk right Um, the whole point of investing is to take a level of risk for a return right Um, but and then some risks you can't control right we call them like market risk or systematic risk or whatever but there are some risks that you can control and, and the ones that you can control, you should control. And so I'm really happy and I hope the listeners are paying attention that it's extremely important um, to do your due diligence. And we speak about it all the time, but what I like about what you've, what you've said as well is you've actually given us examples of how, not just what, like how to actually do your due diligence. And I actually done a similar thing when I was doing my renovations, um, you know, in terms of uh, making sure I get videos at the end of the day and, and, and making sure that I don't, uh, pay everything up front and that kind of stuff and it, it gave me the peace of mind because you know you're working with people that you actually you actually don't know um so you have to be uh, you have to kind of keep an eye on them and, and you have to feel comfortable and for me to feel comfortable I have to I have to see certain things I have to see progress etc yeah I'd also went to go and have a look at some projects that he w- the builder was working on and projects that he had previously worked on as well just to look at the quality of his work but even asking him to if, if I could come and look at those projects he was so open and and understanding mm. there wasn't any kind of pushback or or any defensiveness from on his part which these are all if if he'd have said no you know I don't feel comfortable with you doing that I probably wouldn't have ended up working with him yeah I mean I would have said bye-bye yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah no brilliant uh, Jack's on that actually because I know 
you at some point you you want of course um at some point build a property portfolio what are some of your what, what would you say is one of your biggest uh, concerns rather than fears um you know uh one of my biggest concerns i probably would say is dealing with with, with potentially bad tenants um you know there is also always something called and i've been a nerd here today but it's something called information asymmetry which is basically when you're transacting with people, sometimes you just don't know what's going on in their minds. You don't, they don't give you all the information and some information you really just can't find. Um, and sometimes that can make me a bit nervous. Um, I, I would absolutely hate to deal with bad tenants and there are many laws that protect these people. Um, so I think that's my, my, um, my biggest concern. And, you know, I'm from Hackney. We do things in a certain way. You get me now, Jack. <laughs> uh, you know, but Jack, we... <laughs> what if you weren't managing the property? If you had a letting agent or a managing mm. agent looking after it, you wouldn't be dealing with the tenants. They would. So yes. would, th- would that still be a concern of yours? Well, that's, that's, what, that's why I'm learning, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, and I love the fact that you've brought that up as well, because many people actually have this idea that um, when you become a landlord, mm. um, that you have to be the, 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 the manager, you have to manage everything. And that's not necessarily true. Um, but yeah, I think I think Rufus actually hit the nail on the head. In that case, you just have to manage the agent. Yes, I'll have to manage the agent um, <laughs> and just have a few words and let them know that, you know, uh, I'm, counting on, <laughs> I'm just counting on them to do, to do a great job. But like, like Ruth said, it's about vetting the right people. Um, mm-hmm. and you have to have, you have to have the trust. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and of course I know Ruth will definitely be helping me on the journey. Isn't that right, Ruth? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but no, on that Ruth, actually, um, with tenants, I mean, you've got like 20 plus tenants. Has there been, has there been any sort of major major issues for you um I yes and no so during covid obviously that was a difficult time for everybody Mm. and there was one particular tenant who lost his job but he he'd been a tenant of mine since maybe 2016 or 2017 Mm. and always paid and you know it was it was a terrible time for a lot of people so I felt like I don't want to be a bad person and say, if you can't pay your rent, leave. Mm. <laughs> that just wouldn't sit sit well with me. So we came to an agreement in that I would I allowed him to pay half rent for, mm. I can't remember if it was three months or six months. And then we were going to work out a payment plan of how he could, you know, pay that back later on. And it, it ended up being that he ended up leaving the property because he he couldn't get a job and he decided to just move back home. But that, that could it could have been a much worse situation. He could have said, no, I'm not paying half rent. I'm just not going to pay you at all. And also during that time, again, legislation changed in that you could not evict a tenant or it was going to take six months to evict a tenant, whereas it didn't used to take that long. Mm. So... It, it could have been a much worse situation for me but if you remember before when I was going through you know what are my expenses after rent mm. and I always put aside an additional 10% so I had some of that money kind of stacked up also because the properties are up north you know the mortgage I think on that particular house was 112 or 118 pound mm. so although you know money's still money and I'm running a business mm. I I didn't want to 
make it all about money I thought you know what I can afford to pay this mortgage for a few months if he's not Mm. going to pay the rent so I just thought you know what it is what it is I'll take a loss for a few months um but I was never kind of fully out of pocket that makes sense Mm. no I I love that Ruth God bless you for your um display of compassion during I guess (laughs) extenuating circumstances as well um and I know you going through your own experience with your very bad landlord as well it's just helped you become you know the landlord that hopefully you want to be so nah and that's really great to hear um and yeah thank you for sharing that um I think yeah that's the the worst thing that has happened and yeah I've heard you know so many other stories from other people where things have gone wrong and Mm. I'm very fortunate that none of those things have happened to me yet have you you prepared yourself if it does ever happen I mean you know just deal with it as and when but I'm hoping I will never be in any of these situations because my landlord my letting agents know the types of tenants I'm comfortable with Mm. No, absolutely. I know, yeah. Jax, this is the moment where the hackney in Jax comes out. <laughs> you know, I just have a few words with the tenants. No, <laughs> we'll All give right. them an offer that they can't refuse. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, Ruth, you, you mentioned something that, that's, that's uh, got me thinking, I think it's actually important to, to maybe speak about. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned I'm running a business here. Mm. Now, many people see property as as an investment um, rather than a, a business. Would you want to like talk about the differences between what you feel as if the differences are between yeah. running a business and, and mm. seeing property as just an investment? So this is something that I learned from one of my mentors. So they were saying, you know, there's a difference between being a landlord and being a property investor. And typically people become landlords well, it, it can be intentional or accidental. So let's say, for example, somebody passes away and you inherit the property, you will end up as an accidental landlord. Mm. Or let's say you own a property, your partner owns a property, you then get married and you move. one of you moves into the other house, you've then got a spare house and you'll become an accidental landlord. And there's nothing wrong with that, but accidental landlords typically or historically didn't used to run their the property as a business it would just be you know I've got some extra money coming in and we'll put that towards a, a holiday once a year or something like that whereas I've decided to set up in a way that you know I've got systems I've got spreadsheets I've got everything that you you would if you were running a proper business I you know try to keep up to date with what's going on in in the property world I do various bits of CPD each year um, and you know, and just try to keep on top of things a lot more and be proactive rather than reactive. Love that. I really love that. And I love the fact that you said uh, the CPD because, um, I mean, as a professional um, in investment management, I, I have to do CPDs anyway. But, you know, when I'm running a, a side hustle where I'm helping people with their personal finances, I think that's very separate to investment management. And so I've also created my own version of what a CPD is. Um, which I think helps me become a better coach. Um, I'm someone who can actually help people with their personal finances better. So I really, really like the fact that you've mentioned that as well. I thought it was just me being uh, extra, you know. (laughs) No, I think as well, because 
eventually I would like this to be my full-time job I'd, mm. I'd like to you know give up the day job and just do property full-time so I wanted to set it up properly from now so that when that time comes in the future I've got everything in place and I can just continue yeah, you know, yeah. doing it the way I'm doing it yep and, and and anyone wondering what CPD stands for if you don't know it stands for a continuous personal development it's something that uh, many professionals in different careers have to do to show that they're still competent um, and they're learning and they can still do their job properly. Um, usually it's done by a, a certain amount of hours, for example. So if I take an exam or if I attend conferences, I can mark those things off my CPD and, and you know, there's a set limit. If I get to, let's say, uh, let's say 100 hours per, per year, then I can say that I've completed my CPD. So yeah, we do that in, in the professional world. But if you can do that for your own, own business as well, proactively, where you're not, you don't have to do so, I think that's amazing. Hmm. Um, no, thank you very much for that, uh, both. Um, Ruth, with, you mentioned uh, Section 24. With sort of, I guess, changes in uh, regulations over the years, particularly when it comes to landlords you always hear of things in the news such as is buy to let worth it um more things are coming in place to put landlords off or make sure they earn less all of that stuff um has there been challenges um in that area yeah i mean the the tax one was obviously something that i had to contend with but Mm. i just i didn't i chose not to see it as a hurdle i just chose to see it as this is what it is and just plan for it, put money aside for it. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, But I think the thing that's been the biggest um, banner in the works, I guess, is the additional stamp duty. So Mm. when you own one property, you have to pay an an extra 3% in stamp duty. Mm. Now, most of my, well, all of my properties are up up north. Um, I haven't ever bought anything that's, more than a hundred thousand pounds so (laughs) the stamp duty is always you know pretty minimal but it does mean that now that I'm ready to buy my own place Mm. and it's in London or South London I'm now having to pay a ridiculous amount of stamp duty Mm. and if I if that rule hadn't come into play then I wouldn't be paying any stamp duty no it's just it's just something to to be aware of like rather than seeing it as oh you know I select over I can never do this than the other just be prepared for it put money aside for it and add, add the cost into you know your your sums when you're working out if, is it going to be a viable investment or not rather mm. than seeing it as a barrier yeah love it I think love I, it. I think what's important again um, just to give our listeners more <laughs> more of an education is again when it comes to any form of investment um, any form of acquisition of an asset again uh, there is various types of risk um, and and many people don't factor this into their, their their thinking when they are investing but it is actually something that you have to um, and again this is me speaking from a professional standpoint one of those types of risks is is, is regulatory risk mm-hmm. um, there it is something that's there and you have to be aware of it and you have to factor that in into your thinking when you are um, um, building a portfolio of assets um, and that's why we say certain things like you know make sure you have cash uh, saved uh, for an emergency not just for your personal finances for, but for your business or your investment portfolio um, because regulation can change at any moment um, and you don't want to be burnt we also say diversify you know diversify to reduce risk because you know if for example 
um, something changes and, and you've got all your eggs in one basket, that could be quite detrimental. So it's just really important to think about these things. Um, they do exist. You can't mitigate them completely, but just be aware that they do exist. And so you should factor them into your thinking. No, brilliant. And just talking on risk in general, I mean, on episode 70, we've done an episode called How to Understand and Prioritize Investment Risk. So people may get scared of the word risk, but it's just important. It's not something that we need to be scared of. It's something that we need to be aware of and understand, if possible, how we can mitigate it. So no, Ruth, um, yeah, uh, love that response. Um, So yeah, no, thank you very much for that. Cool. So on, on um, whenever we have discussions around this relating to sort of um, personal finance, we'd like to give a balanced discussion. So we've spoken a lot about, you know, some of the challenges um, that you you have had or maybe you've heard some of your peer landlords have had. Um, we've, you've spoken a bit about the journey from getting from property one to six um, and, you know, some of the processes that you've gone um, through that or some of the hurdles that you've had to jump. So let's go on the other side. You know, you've got your six properties properties um we want to hear a bit more about you know why did you do all of this what are some of the you know the successes or the returns that you've seen and it, and there may not be none at this point who knows but it'll be good to um understand um a bit more about you um about that um shortly but before we do that um Ruth gonna give you a quick breather and um, just as we do on every single um, Won't Finance episode on this particular podcast, we give a shout out to where we're getting new listeners from. So Jax, um, on this occasion, we are going to give a shout out to our listeners in a place called Bratis- Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia. Why, why are you always doing <laughs> cities it's such a disservice? <laughs> Peter is so terrible uh-huh. at pronunciation. It's actually hilarious. And he's terrible <laughs> at dancing too. But thank God he's a great podcast partner. <laughs> so guys, yes, no, welcome. Welcome to Walt Finance. My name is Jax. Um, I am the co-founder of Walt Finance alongside Peter. Here we talk about all things uh, regarding personal finance and finance related. We try to continue conversations that we wish we had when we were younger. Um, and the conversations that we are still having today on our personal finances journey as well. So um, if you are enjoying what we talk about, then of course, um, do subscribe, uh, to do follow us. And yeah, even, even if you have any topics that you think um, you would want us to talk about, you can get in touch with us at info at waltfinance.co.uk. Or you can actually head over to our website, which is launching very, very soon. But we do have a landing page where you can give us your details so that you are notified every single time that we are doing something new. Brilliant, brilliant, man. A massive shout out to our listeners over there. Thank you very much for your support and tuning in. And a massive shout out to all of our listeners around the world, man. We do appreciate you very much. Thank you on that. Ruth you know and you can tell us a bit more about some of the successes that you've been seeing so far um on your journey so far we've spoken about the challenges so we can just yeah touch a bit more on some of your successes yeah and and if you want to put numbers to that you can as well if you want to it's up to you oh i think in terms of successes uh one of the projects i'm most proud of is my first hmo mm. just because it was it's quite a big deal f- for me at the time uh, moving from you know buy to lets to HMOs like that and we had to wrap our head around all the new well, all, all of the HMO rules and regulations for that part of the country 
um and yeah just do you know a, a 12-week project which is something I'd never done before mm. uh, I also thought that the numbers for that project it panned out exactly how we thought it would so we purchased the property for 70,000 we spent 30,000 doing it up so that included it was a we bought it as a three-bedroom house with two reception rooms downstairs and we created it into a five-person HMO with three en-suites and one shared bathroom and um, so yeah I was really really proud of it it came out really well we spent 30,000 on the refurbishment and then once we refinanced it it was worth 130,000 so I was really really happy with that one um the the, the other two HMOs are Kind of similar numbers and again I was as happy with them I was really really happy with this first one um and yeah I just want to potentially do one more HMO mm-hmm. but maybe not we might just look at doing some or start doing some kind of development style projects instead to maybe a commercial to residential or something like that oh wow so building up from the single lets to HMO and then potentially um commercial as well yeah not until next year though (laughs) no love it love it no brilliant that's really really good to hear um Ruth um really inspiring and you know what one thing that um will be really useful for our listeners to I guess for us to wrap up on is it might be five but what would you say are your top tips on building a property portfolio um have a clear um strategy on what you want to do like what what which property strategy you want to go for that would be number one Mm. make sure you research the area that you that you're going to go go for but I guess you'll have to just research in general so I basically researched the whole of England in in terms of to find the areas that I wanted to invest in so yeah don't skip out on doing that and make sure you've got good people around you advising you so that's people tend to refer to that as your power team so mm. that's your accountant your mortgage broker your solicitor um, your architect if you're going to need one um your build it your builders like all those types of people letting agents so again do some research around who you want in your power team do you know what i'd say those three are the mm. main three things mm. and everything else should hopefully fall into place after that once you've once you've figured out those three things so your property strategy the area and the location that you're going to invest in and having the right people around you love it love it love it and um jackson i'm gonna might just have to bring you in um here but um on and you may not know but on the strategy perspective and um, Ruth obviously uses the brr strategy buy refurb and refinance do you know of any other strategies that some people may use yeah, I mean, there are plenty of uh, creative strategies that you can use um, when it comes to real estate property um, investing. And, you know, so you, I'm sure anyone that's been around the property world has heard of things such as uh, the rent to rent strategy or using lease option agreements um, and that kind of stuff. Um, so these, these are all different... is also a strategy as well. What was that? flipping yeah so just yep. buying houses renovating them and selling them on yeah mm. yeah yeah flipping so yeah yeah that's that's you know homes under the hammer style um that's something that that people uh, adopt as well so there are many different strategies i think the key thing is to really really uh, learn about the different strategies and see which one suits you so you know people talk about the rent to rent strategy being a, a very high cash flow type of strategy but it actually requires a lot of time 
Um, so you run it more like a business than, than let's say a, a property investment that provides cash flow. It's something that you actually work on from what I've heard. So it really depends. I think it's important to get educated, um, get educated from whoever you, you, you can find. Um, maybe Ruth can point us into some directions as to, you know, if someone wants to get further educated in property, where they should go. Um, but yeah, I think I think the strategies are out there. They're, they're plentiful but you have to learn them individually and see which one and just you. That with the strategies I'd say as well kind of stick in your lane and try not to mm. get um like blindsided by what other people are doing mm. because there are so many strategies out there and I don't necessarily think you know strategy a is better than strategy b mm. it's just you know do what you want to do be happy and comfortable with what you're doing and just do it rather than oh well she's doing rent to rent or this person's doing Mm. hmos or this one's doing service accommodation like they're they're all good strategies in themselves but you've Mm. got to figure out what's your end goal why are you doing this are you wanting to make some like large lump sums of money or are you wanting cash flow or are you wanting capital appreciation whatever it is and then find the strategy that suits what you're looking for yeah so so you know i feel what ruth is saying is also just understand the pros and cons of each right mm. and see see how how that suits you so earlier i was saying for example i, I like a peace of mind <laughs> and maybe when i when i start my property journey I, I may just want uh property to be something that supplements my income because i generate income from other sources as well so i may not be willing to give too much of my time to do things like flips you know, I may not be interested to buy a property and then and then you know add value and then, and then sell it on. That I have no interest. I might be much more interested in just buying a family debt um, and just receiving a. Albeit it might not be the highest cash flow, but it's cash flow that comes in and may come in for a very long time. If a family lives in there, that supplements my income elsewhere. So it's really important that everybody understands kind of the different strategies understand what they are, stay in your lane. And this actually goes for stocks as well. Don't want to bring in stocks, but I couldn't help myself. But, um, you know, when it comes to investing in financial assets, you know, don't, don't get too, um, we call it the shiny object syndrome. You know, don't, don't, don't try and, you know, you have this person's trading, day trading, this person's swing trading, this person is, is, is buying dividend stocks, this person is buying growth stocks, this person is buying mutual funds. And, and you just, just confuse yourself as to you don't, even, you don't even know what to do. The key thing may be, actually, I may not have the time or the interest or the temperament to research individual stocks. So rather than buying individual stocks, I'm just going to focus on uh, buying an index fund. Um, and just keeping up, you know, buy like an S&P 500 index and put money in there every single month. And I'm comfortable with that for the long term. Or you might say, in fact, I don't even know which index funds I want to I wanna invest in. Why don't I just stick to a robo-advisor who's going to do everything for me? You know, you go in there, they ask you a few questions. What's your objective, time frame, ability and willingness to take risk? Based on those answers, use algorithms to create a portfolio for you. And all you've got to do is put money in every single month. For some people, that is the way they probably want and need to go. So it's really important to understand these things, understand the pros and cons of everything and then ask yourself which one actually suits me and then stick to it. Hmm. No, thanks for that, Jackson. Whilst, because you brought up stocks, I'm just going to mention, but in the future, we do have an episode on stocks uh, versus property investing. So do stay tuned for when that Ooh, comes out. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> it's going to be techie. It's going to be, it's gonna be techie. <laughs> uh, but no, listen, if those tips have been super useful. Uh, so thank you very much for that as well. And I'm sure if you've got any more, feel free to add them. But what, you know, um, 
my question to you right now to wrap up on these, where does this all end? You've moved from single leps to HMOs and um, now thinking about commercial. What's the end goal for you? Um, where is Ruth going to be when she's 60? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's difficult to think about what that end goal actually looks like. Mm. But um, I think for me, it's when I have enough money coming in that per month that I feel like, okay, I'm ready to stop my day job now. Mm. And that goalpost does keep moving, you know, <laughs> as life keeps getting more expensive. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that that's the initial first goal. Um, I'd also really love to be able to help my mum pay off her mortgage as well. So I think mm. that's another big one for me. And then, yeah, I guess I'll just see, see where the world takes me in the future. Can I, I bite in very quickly? Because there's, there's something that I think might be important for our listeners to 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 know. Um, you know, we go on social media, predominantly YouTube, and they make you know property investing sound so easy. Uh, financial freedom sounds so easy. Quit your day job. Quit your day job so that you can put all your hard earned, you no, know, all, all your energy into into you know running your property. What do you say about that? Do you, you know you still mention the fact that you you still have the day job? Mm. How, yeah, you, I still have a day yeah. job. Um, for a number of reasons so um I wanted to have a salary so that I could continue to get mortgages mm. um because I knew that I hadn't bought my own like my residential home yet I needed to have a salary so that I could get a mortgage so that was you know important for me um I think if you are somebody that actually likes your job why should you quit it Mm. um I I understand what like the appeal to you know want to just quit and you know go traveling or live that nomad life or, or whatever it is um but I think if you still have you know responsibilities and things that need to get paid and you want some level of stability then it's good to have a day job while still having money coming in from other income streams yeah I I, I agree I agree I think it's very important for people to make wise decisions. Uh, and a wise decision is one where you've considered all the possible outcomes um, before actually jumping into something that, that may cause you stress. So um, yeah, I think that's something that's important for our listeners to understand, PR. No, absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. Now, thank you very much for that, Ruth. Um, it's been super useful just kicking it back with you and just listening to your journey. So inspirational just from you know your journey from in terms of what you was um learning in university and then just how you know your paths uh, changed um and you went into this but alongside your day job as well um where you know your journey in just a short space of time you know seven years um is a short space of time when it comes to you know putting your money in any form of in, in investments as well and it's just yeah really in, inspiring and also it feels like a very well balanced uh, conversation in terms of you sharing the challenges and successes as well and um, my final question is to you right now Ruth um any regrets um sometimes I really do think that I, I did it the other way around so mm. I bought my house first and then did the investment but it is what it is I wasn't able to do that at the time so I don't I don't regret it because I've been able to still do it but if if I were to have one regret that's something that I might say but apart from that um now I'm pretty happy with the way everything's gone mm. um 
maybe I regret not starting sooner because I did mm. actually opportunity to start all the property stuff back in 2013 but I procrastinated and wasted time so I didn't um, and then I also took a bit of a hiatus around 2017 16 17 and again I wish I didn't do that but it is what it is no I agreed and I'm a big believer of you know things um, work out the way they work out for a reason so now just um thank you for that and congrats on your successes and congrats on your well technically your first uh residential property <laughs> thank you well. my Hopefully best time yeah your first <laughs> home, <that's it. laughs> yeah i mean i mean from, from me i think well you know uh i'm proud i'm proud of you because mm. you know i know it's not easy especially for a, a, a woman let alone mm. a black woman mm. um to to be get into the places that you have so congratulations i can tell it probably wasn't as straightforward as they've made it sound <laughs> it might have been quite 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 difficult um but you've always had a right mindset and i think that's really important and that's what we preach in world finance is before we start any journey we we try and focus on on a mindset shift if you don't have the right mindset from the beginning um it seems that ruth had it from the beginning you know she had ambition and she was stuck by it and in those challenging times it was even ambition that, and 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 the knowledge that took her through those um challenges so really really important to be ambitious change your mindset and continually learn because things are always changing always changing you have to keep up with the times in any any um, asset class whether it's stocks shares bonds real estate etc no absolutely Ruth listen been a pleasure thank you very much for your time and um, anything that you want to leave us Thanks with we'll share before we let you go um I think we've covered it all fantastic man. fantastic well god bless you thank you very much uh jacks uh thank you very much for your time as usual and to our listeners hopefully you've um found that really useful um and it supported you if this is something you're thinking about um or this is something that you're not aware of so hopefully it's been of value um to you listen if you know someone this would be of value to and um, whether it's in your socials and um, your friends family members spouse whoever feel free to just share this episode with them as well as any other of our episodes keep doing what you're doing liking subscribing commenting and all of that good stuff i remember all stay well